left. You know, right. so this is a really interesting episode of Sip Talk. Um, it went in a direction I wasn't quite expecting it to, so uh, enjoy it. Um, and while you're enjoying it, if you wouldn't mind throwing us a like, it really helps with the YouTube algorithms. It helps us grow as a podcast. So if you can like, comment, share the podcast, subscribe to the channel, I would be ever grateful. Thank you very much. Enjoy. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 Quick clap to start. I gotta open this beer. This is getting warm. Oh, you're going um, with beer. I'm going with whiskey tonight. You're going with, with whiskey? We're switching yeah. it up. Yeah, some old Evan Williams. What are you drinking? Coors? Yeah. Out of the, the golden can, too. Yeah. I honestly you know the last time I had a Coors, it wasn't a Coors Light. So, yeah. There was that. Banquet beer. That's it. That's it. Um, I just felt like drinking a, a, a beer I haven't had in a while and, you know, tastes just like I remember it. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, uh, I figured we'd, uh, we'd touch, you know, basically. I had this thought that went through my head earlier, and uh, yeah, obviously we, we did a pretty good job nailing the uh, negotiation. But I uh, I just kind of really want your opinion on. I think there's a lot of things that are going on right now where people are kind of losing the tolerance for just anything. People are are unable to just kind of endure. And given there's certain things going on right now, there should be some pushback for. I definitely, definitely think that, you know, and I think it's a good time, and and, and I'm, I'm happy to see a lot of this happening. But it also, I think, you know, what, what it's led to is what's led to what's going on now is just people haven't had to put up with much adversity in their lives. And you know, from what we're talking about the Olympians, um, you know, offing themselves. Uh, but but I just do you see where I'm going with this? Or am I just crazy? No, this is a pretty common theme that y you see it more coming from the the conservative side of the political sphere, where they and it's usually a claim that's lobbed at at more left leaning people, well, where they have more to lose, and they could say just deal with it as it is, you know, tolerate it. I, but I, yeah, but the 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 common criticism is that. Younger people today are less able to tolerate adversity and things that don't go their way, and the a lot of times you'll see the the prevalence of anxiety and depression disorders among. I would say both of us are in our mid thirties. I'd say if you take five to eight years younger, you see a pretty significant uptick in the prevalence of diagnosed anxiety and depression disorders. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I've got two main theories, but I want to hear where you're going on this. Well, I just, I think, I think in terms of the, you know, I said it's my pussification theory that, you know, for, for the last few decades, we've just been, 
been reading people not into adversity and telling them everything is perfect. And, you know, they expect that at 25 years old or at 28 years old or at 21 years old, that life is going to be peachy and they're not going to, they're not going to run into these big decisions that they have to question their life as it is. When anybody who's got a, a few decades on them realizes that life is always changing, you're kind of dealing with things as they happen. And if you look at things that happen as challenging your life altogether, you know, maybe that's, that, maybe that's a reason why there are more suicides as we were talking about before. All right. So I've got a, I've got a theory as to why that is, why they take five to eight years and younger from us. And you see that real market change. I have a theory as to why that is. But, but before I throw mine out there, what do you think the cause of that is? We might, let's just say we agree that the, the, the that it, that what you're saying exists. What do you think the cause is? Um, that's a good question. And that's why I thought it'd be good for, for, for us to talk about it like where and then how do we how do we backtrack and and just toughen people up for fuck's sake all right well but let but, me let me give you my theory on this then since you, you're, you're devoid think, no let me think on it because because you know i really want before you throw what your theory is i you know i want to pinpoint my own decision maybe maybe we'll come together on that but but i am at a loss i don't know and that's why i'm bringing it up what's your theory what scotch are you drinking, by the way? Or whiskey? Oh, uh, Evan Williams. Okay, that's a go-to. I like Evan Williams. Yeah. Yeah, remember the taste test we did 10 years ago? <laughs> More started, than a yeah. taste test. Where, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it started, you started saving you about 20 bucks a bottle. <laughs> Very true. Blind taste test. Evan Williams against Jack Daniels. And uh, we did, I think we tested each other blindly. Yeah, I walked into a room. I walked into a different room. You poured two different shots and then didn't tell me which one was which. And then I did the same thing. So neither of us knew what we were drinking. We both said which one was better. And both of us picked Evan Williams. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they taste, they taste really, really, really similar. They're both bourbon, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, they taste. There wasn't a huge difference between the two, but both of us picked Evan Williams. Over Jack Daniels. I mean, I don't think Jack Daniels to me is not a, you know, Jack Daniels could be a well whiskey as far as I'm concerned. You stack it up against other whiskeys. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. it's not priced like a well whiskey. Evan Williams is priced like a well whiskey. Exactly. Jack Daniels is priced at 28 to 35 bucks for a 750 Yeah, and that's that's brand recognition, things like that. All right. Sorry. So my theory as to why why the slightly younger generation to us is perceived as softer and may actually be softer. Um, okay, but so, you're so so I, I uh, what? remind you on this a little bit, but go ahead. Okay, <laughs> so I blame social media, especially Facebook, for this. And the reason for it is when we were coming up, elementary, middle, high school, there was no social media. We didn't really have any way of being able to compare our lives to other people's besides directly interacting with them face-to-face when we either saw them in school or when we hung out with them on the weekends or whatever it may be, the only way that we could see how other people's lives were was by interacting with them directly, which you means that we got to see more or less the whole picture of what their lives was, their lives were like, not selected bits and pieces that they posted for other people to see, but we got to see how things really were. 
Well, do you think you knew more or less about people when, th when the only way into their lives was physically? Um, you knew more about less people. Okay, I I will buy that. Although you don't have that, you didn't have the access to their, a fucking photo roll of of somebody's last decade like you do now. No, but it's again, you knew less people, but you knew them better. Okay, and so. Also, there's a selection bias inherent in social media where people aren't going to generally post the, the boring, the mediocre, or the truly shitty parts of their lives on social media. They're not going to share that. So all, huh? What do you take pictures of anyways? You know, you don't take a picture of your shit breakfast that, that turned out like, like crap. Right. Oh, out of your way. Yeah, okay. So, right. I, I, so the thing is, when, when you, with people being raised on social media from essentially there's kids that are on social media from the day that they learn how to read six, seven, eight years old. They've got a Facebook profile. They're doing it. I know Facebook's term of service at one point were 13. I don't know if they've changed that. I've never been on Facebook and thank God, but I think that it leads to whenever, whenever you're on Facebook or whatever, and all you're ever seeing are the highlights of other people's days. It yeah. can very easily lead you to think that other people are leading more successful and more interesting lives than you because you're only being exposed to the good parts of other people's lives and your sample size is bigger so if a good event occurs let's say once every week or so if you've only got 10 friends then that's one and a half good events per week that you're going to be seeing from other people yeah. but if you're friends with 2,000 friends now you're seeing a good event three or four times a day and you're thinking man all these people are just having like everything's going right for all these people. And, and here I am just trudging along in whatever job I'm doing. So it, it's very easy to compare your level of success against basically the top selection of success of a, a large sample. And it, it's tough to beat that. So it's very easy to feel inadequate when you're being compared against everybody else every single day. And you're only being compared against the top 10 scores of the 2000 people or whatever. Sure, but this doesn't fit against your timeline. This yes, is no, it, it absolutely does. Well, when, how old were you when Facebook first came out? Uh, twenty-one, maybe. Mm, you would you would have been nineteen. Two thousand six. So when I was in college, I started college fall of two thousand four. I was eighteen. Okay. And that was the same time that Facebook came out. Facebook came out midsummer, late, uh, I think probably first semester of my freshman year. So the way that Facebook worked is initially, it was only for, I believe, Harvard. And then it caught on really quick with Harvard. And so they expanded it to another small group of schools. So it went from Harvard to maybe 10 or 15 other schools. And that was like the first wave. It caught fire from there. And then it went to another wave of like 50 or 60 schools. My school was in the second wave and I had no idea what this was. People told me about it. And I, I was just like, Oh, that sounds terrible, but not to go into the history of Facebook too much. The point that I'm trying to make is when I was 18 and you were either 18 or 19 is when Facebook first hit. So we were already in a lot of ways more along the lines towards being an adult than being kids when it happened. We didn't spend our adolescence 
exposed to social media. By right. the time it came out to us, we already had a lot of the tools and experience to know how to deal with what was going on on the site. We've, we've already experienced real life. You know, we've already had to fucking shovel driveways when, when 1500 of your friends have plows in their driveway or, or live in a tropical area. So mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I agree with you, but I just don't know how there's not some type of mechanism inside the human brain that, that people are just like, people don't want to work. I can't imagine having a kid now and trying to get that kid to shovel the driveway or God for, or God forbid I hire a neighbor's kid to, to shovel a driveway and he gets hurt and the neighbors sue me. Well, that's, that's a separate discussion. A I think that's that you know that unheard of for dad. The answer to your question about mechanism of dealing with adversity is it's just like any other muscle, where it has to be exercised, and you don't want to face tremendous adversity. It's it's like going to the gym, and if you're built like me, trying to bench 500 pounds, not going to happen. But if I start by I benching, all right, well, whatever, you, you get the point. Yeah, is you don't want to lift too much at once, but if you do little exercises, little pieces of adversity every single day, then you get stronger and stronger with it. And eventually, if something big happens, you're like, well, this sucks. But you've got the, the mental muscles yeah. to deal with it are already built up. And so it doesn't break you. I like that. That fits in with my cold shower theory where I've been taking ice cold showers lately. And I just think it makes everything after that a little bit easier. And I just, I kind of like the challenge of, uh, and also I don't take fucking 10, 15 minute showers when it's cold water. You know, I'm pretty much in that shower, rinse, lather up, rinse off, get the fuck out of there because it's cold as shit. But it, it is, you know, it, just dealing with a little bit of being cold, I feel like probably will help me out this winter time at, at the very least. But so that's my thought is that, the, again, with, with Facebook and people being able to have access to all this information out there, but no real mediation. There's no, like, if you're, if you're a 10 year old kid or a 12 year old kid or whatever, you haven't developed the skills to be able to understand how everything that's shown to you online is not a true representation of what reality really is. And, like and you also, because you have access to all these people, you you can get you can get confirmation for whatever condition you have you can find someone that will agree with you 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 can find basically enablers in any community so instead of having to build resistance and say well tough shit and and move on with your life you can find people that'll be able to reinforce whatever preconceived notion you had that it's not your fault that there's somebody else to blame or, or whatever the case is, you'll find someone to reinforce that view, even if it's not healthy. Yeah, well, and, but uh, somebody made a comment just now about parents being at fault too. And I, you know, I, I, I certainly believe they are because, it, you know, their kid fucks up or their kid's not good at baseball or their kid's not good at soccer. You know, they're there coddling the kid, telling them they really are good at soccer. It's just, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe not their time or something. And, well, but people just not getting the fact that like they're not within their skill set, they need to move on or fucking work hard and improve. Mm -hmm. you know, like well, yeah. And there's definitely some, you, you can definitely point to some parents and say, look, you need to be harder on your kid about it. Not in a mean way, but there's times where you just have to say, look, this is one of the tough lessons of life where 
things don't always go your way and you've got to find a way of kind of accepting that and then deciding how you want to deal with it of either like have a, if you're going to quit something, have a very good reason to quit it or, or pursue on through the difficulty and know that over time, your hard work will result in you being better at it. And this feeling will not last forever. Like this sounds like a, a parenting 101, you know, lesson. Like this sounds like parents are directly involved. You think that, that people in our generation or a generation, a half generation ahead of us are just shittier parents? I think you could make I, that argument. I think that they might be trying to be better parents. And I have a thing in, in this office where, and I noticed it, uh, last year and maybe a year and a half ago tops but i noticed this a lot that i called it i called it baby bird syndrome is that i'm not breeding lions and and hunters and people that are going to go after what they want because everything's been given to them i felt like i gave i've given too much and i'm i mean i have people come to my my office to help me print something i mean to me that's like why are you coming to me to fucking you're showing me that you're a moron that's really frustrating for like it's it's literally demonstration that somebody's unable to 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 figure something out and they don't go to Google they don't go to the person next to them they don't go to maybe another colleague they go straight to me and instantly I'm just like oh man like this person can't figure things out I didn't go to fucking college for print, you know printers I just know how to use Google I know how to use fucking YouTube but I think uh, I think you know parents probably you know, trying to make their kids' lives a lot better have have uh, have probably made them a lot weaker people. I yeah, think. and a lot of it's well-intentioned, where they want their kids to succeed, and so they, they kind of overhelp. Yeah, yeah. Which people don't people don't people don't figure it out on their own, and that's what happens here. Is I help, I give people all this training material, I give them all these resources and then they, you know, and then when they're not successful, it's because of me. I'm like, well, you didn't read this. You didn't watch these videos. Like you just assumed it was there. You, you didn't, you never had to go after it yourself. Um, you know, like I, I read all these articles and I type summations up and I put them in our notes here. And videos that I watch, I put them in a shared Google drive for people. And a lot of people don't watch them and they, and, you know, and they don't, they don't even go externally to find this stuff on their own anyways. Yeah. Just, I mean, but that's a parenting issue. That's a leadership issue. It's, it's bad leadership on my end. It's tough to turn around because I want to be a broker that advertises full service, great training, great resources. But I don't want to be the broker that like somebody came to me today to print something for them. I'm like, it's in the fucking... Well, you're in front of your computer right now. No shit on in front of my computer. I'm doing fucking 17 other things. And this is something that you can do yourself. This is not something that you need my approval for. I mean, my fucking head almost blew up today. No. But, uh, no, it's it, like when I started at my firm and I hadn't worked in public accounting before and I was an intern and they, they didn't give me very much training. They gave me some tasks and they said, they gave me, like, they taught me how to use the scanner. They taught me how to log in. They taught me how to get into the different programs. But when it came time to start working with the actual accounting software, whether it was QuickBooks or our tax prep software, any of the others, um, very early on, probably my second or third day, they just gave me a tax return. They said, we want to see what you can do. 
see like here's a, here's a good tax return that should be at about your level it's it's not too complicated um go ahead and just work with it and then over time when like if i had a question or whatever a lot of times they would say look at what we did last year google it a lot of times they wouldn't give me help they'd say figure it out on your own yeah put some time into it look to see how it, how this item was treated last year and it got to the point where now when I'm doing stuff, I've been there for over two years now, but the only, I very rarely have questions. I, I, I know that all the different places that I can look for answers. So I have lots of fewer questions for the partners or my, or other more experienced people because I basically, unless I run into something that I looked and see that I think was done wrong the year before or doesn't, or I don't have the information then the only questions that I'll have are going to be kind of technical questions that are either partner level decisions in terms of when there's a gray area, how do we want to interpret something? But early on, my firm was very clear with me that we expect you to solve as many of your problems as you can on your own. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I need to start backtracking on that and, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough position to move back on, but, but that's, so now we have all these people in their twenties and thirties and teens that, that, you know, everything's been, they haven't, they haven't gone through much, much challenges and now they feel like kind of the world's crashing down on them. They're not able to figure things out. Um, you know, just how do you, how do you go back on that? How do you just kick people in the face and say, you know, get back up or, or, step out of the race man well i think for from your perspective as a business owner or whatever i think you've got the right idea which is kind of take the safety wheels off and have much more of a sink or swim approach and say i will give you all the tools that you need to be successful it's up to you as to whether or not you do the reading and you put in the work um and the other thing that i would do is have some kind of a mentorship program where you take maybe not one of your senior agents, but you have somebody that's maybe been here for six months to a year, maybe a little longer, that knows what they're doing and has been successful and say, you day one agent, you're going to be working with this guy that's been here for eight months and has been successful. If you have questions, ask him. Yeah. yeah. No, and we do, we do do a lot of that. We do do a lot of that. It's just, it's it, it, like, it's so fucking frustrating. But that way you can make it so that way the only questions that you're fielding are the ones where it's actually a decision that you have to make when it comes to how do we negotiate on a commission or yeah, I, something I like that. Say, I don't want to say, why are you wasting my time? I'm the boss. Like that's a really shitty perspective to have. It's really diminutive, I feel like. So, but I, but it's difficult for me to deliver that message. Like, yo, like you could just figure this shit out. Why are you like, I, like when the when the printer jams, somebody comes running in my office. Oh my god, the printer's jammed. Go fix but, it. But like, I'm supposed to stop what I'm doing. Like you know, go online, look at the user manual, get the fucking diagnostic of the printer, and figure this out. But how am I? How am I able to figure that out? And the other, I'm going to do the same thing that you're going to do, which is look at the printer, take it apart if I have to, and if that doesn't work, then fucking Google. That's ex that's. that's but how come I how how come that's my go-to and that's not the go-to of fucking fifty other people? 
Because well, part of it is probably they haven't worked a job where they've been empowered to do to make those kind of decisions. No, possibly, possibly, yeah. I mean, and and that's something where maybe on your onboarding or whatever, when when people come in, you say, "Look, I'm going to give you a lot of responsibility and a lot of freedom to run things how you want to on your own." That means that I'm not going to offer as much assistance as you might have been used to at a prior job. I'm going to be here to assist you when it comes to getting a deal through so that we can both make money and I'll help you with all these training materials and whatnot. But when it comes to kind of day-to-day -day operations, well, but I'm, not just, but a lot, a lot, a lot more than that, not just day-to-day -day operations. Like, you know, we're out of toilet paper or something like that, figure it out. But, but you know, we're out of paper or the toner cartridge, but, but literally every aspect in life. That's what I, that's what I need to train people, people to do. Well, here's a great way to put it from, from a, a leadership and boss perspective is when someone comes to you with a question that is something that they should be able to figure out their, themselves, what, what I would come back to them and say is, I want you to pretend that you're the boss right now. Pretend you own this company. What decision would you make? Exactly. And then have them make that decision. I think that's a good idea. Let me, so, so. What are your thoughts? Because somebody made this comment, and this was kind of in line with where my mind was going, but the whole cancel culture thing that's going on right now, I feel like that, that's people that aren't getting their way, and they just want to fucking shut it down. Um, well, yeah. And, and like the cancel rent movement right now, which would be fucking great for me, like I've had a rough, probably rougher than most, uh, last four or five months. Well, you're looking at between personal and office rent, probably about fifteen thousand a month. More than that, but uh, but and that's just the fucking rent, right? Also, the electric is fucking building. No, we're not counting any of that. We're just saying. Oh, but it's a it's a shit the space itself. Yeah, it's a shit ton of money. Yeah, and you know we get fucking five thousand square feet in the summertime. The fucking AC's going up. Like it's an insane amount of of overhead. Cancel rent. If that made any sense fucking remotely, except fuck everybody and I win, I'd be on board. But I'm not about to fuck everybody else, fuck the landlord. Like, the, you know, I understand that if I don't pay rent for whatever amount of time, the building quality goes down. The, you know, the fucking bathroom being out of toilet paper, people are going to have to bring their own toilet paper because they can't afford staff, yeah. bathroom, everything well, shits in here, you know? I think we're not comparing if we want to talk about cancel culture when it comes to some kind of item that's out there usually we're going to be talking about some kind of expression be it a tv show an artist speech of some sort versus cancel rent which is an economic argument so i think we need to kind of separate the two out and, no, and, and kind I'm, of address each individually i'm just talking about people trying to change people not being happy and how they're reacting to that's all. That's just my, my perspective. Rather than people enduring the tough times, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, what, I, what I'm... Uh, Here, it, here's the problem with your comparison, though, is there's a difference between being exposed to speech or media that bothers you in some way versus something that require, that makes an actual economic demand of you. So when it comes to cancel rent, that has an actual financial impact where uh, on both parties, 
where I might not be able to afford to pay my rent and the landlord might be depending on that, on that, on my rent payment to pay his mortgage. So there's, and so I might not have much of a say in terms of whether or not I can afford my rent. If I just lost my job and my savings are gone or whatever, then asking for canceling of rent is really like me dealing with an impossible situation. Whereas trying to like cancel culture when it comes to cancel this TV show, cancel this radio show, get rid, like don't play this music on the radio or whatever it may be has no, that if, if I see something that's offensive or whatever, and I don't like it, it has no economic impact on me. I can choose whether or not I'm exposed to it and being exposed to it doesn't it, it's not something that demands anything of me whereas rent demands something of me where i i might not be able to produce that money so yeah fair enough but but is canceling it a, a proper solution is that a real world actual solution that's not going to backfire on you in some other way like i said so, i don't pay rent in the office because because whatever reason i know that the building quality will deteriorate and there's a good chance I'm going to have an agent that's going to come at me all pissed off because they went to take a crap and there was no toilet paper because they can't fucking man the guys that, that replaced yeah. the toilet. So your question about is cancel, be it rent or some kind of media or whatever, is that a viable solution? The answer to both questions is no. I mean, now take something like we have this statue of Christopher Columbus in Columbus Circle. And I mean, I don't know anything about this guy. I always thought he was a good guy. He did some good stuff. No. Apparently, he, he was a real prick, and, and, and he, he just kind of came and took and conquered and whatever. I, I don't know the details. Not important. I'm going to say I've, comp I've, I've decided that everything he did was bad, and I, don't, I never liked him. I was really indifferent to the fella. You know, now we got the circle that's near my apartment, Columbus Circle. I'm pretty indifferent to the fact whether or not this thing comes down. But if we're just going to cancel it like it never existed, I mean, there's a lot of places in New York City that have been renamed. You get the Triborough Bridge or the, you know, which is now the RFK, Robert F. Kennedy Bridge, you know, it changed. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But what I'm curious is where these people get the passion to just demand that it gets erased. So, and, and those are two different, you know, we're talking the cancel rent and we're talking the cancel and i mean i think i think there's a lot of fucking bad monuments that, that should come down but i'm just for me i'm just so apathetic like and yeah also, like i don't want to do, i don't want to have to knock it over like that's a lot of work i, I that's how indifferent i am so, okay but so i think when it comes like saying that taking a monument down i think is slightly different from cancel culture in that for one that's that's public that's public media so that's an expression a kind of a tacit expression of the government of an endorsement of some figure and so if you can look at some figure so without getting into the history columbus was not a good person did not yeah. do a lot of good things treated indigenous indigenous people horribly and his history was whitewashed for a very long time and so if you, I think it's, yeah, I think that's fucking wild. Yeah, without getting into the history, people are looking at it and saying, you know what, now that we're more aware of what the reality of this person was, we think that it's probably not a good idea for us to have a government monument celebrating him in, in the way that it is. 
So that, and, this is a different element of cancel culture, something you don't like and you're trying to make it go away. Different now, between public um, and private though. I'm, I'm, again, I'm against cancel rent, even though I would, I would really, really benefit. Let me just, let me clear this up. I'm super against the cancel rent because I think that's a bullshit thing. Now, the knock down the Columbus statue or all these Confederate statues, I'm for. But what I'm saying is, I'm still not gonna be down over there tearing the statue down. And I'm not the one that's initiating the, yeah, let's do this. Because I don't know, I don't have that in me. Something I don't like, I fucking, you know, I walk by these, these crackheads on the street every day, you know, I tweet on fucking 311 on Twitter and shit, like, and, and you know, in different newspapers, that's about as far as I'm gonna go. Like, I'm not gonna be the one that's gonna, it's right, just but not there for me. Again, let's try and not conflate things, because cancel rent is an economic thing, whereas but if we're talking about- There's something in you that's saying, I don't like it, it's gotta go away. And, and that's why I said when we started off, right when we started that, uh, I don't remember exactly how I articulated it, but like there are some good things that are happening right now because of this, but it's a societal you know, type thing that's going on right now that, that there's been so many people that haven't had to face adversity. I mean, is the Christopher Columbus news new? To some people, yes. I, I mean, living as a Northerner, living in the South with people riding around their fucking pickup trucks with Confederate flags. Uh, I was just like, all right, this is a little retarded. I mean, I'm not gonna, like, I know what they, I don't know, to me as a white person, it's very clear what the Confederate flag is symbolizing. Yeah. So I don't know what they think they're symbolizing, but I'm, I would say, um, you know, somewhere in the middle, if not more on their side, just by complexion alone. And I see, uh, you know, I see the other side of it, but I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I'm not there pulling the flags down and, and yelling at them. You know, somebody's entitled to their own point of view is, is obnoxious. Well, that's yeah, and, and that and that that's that's kind of how you and I look at things. Is if I see somebody driving around with a Confederate flag on their truck, I just look and say, "You're you're really intolerant, and I don't want to interact with you." Education, um, I think I would do my part to you know work on education, and I won't even confront people about that because it's not going to go well. Um, Obviously, here let me let me just refresh this. While you're doing that, let me refresh my drink as well. Come on, I need you to talk to me, James. Because uh, now we just got a blank screen here. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I'll keep things going while, and then I need to get another ice cube. But yeah, so I think there are some people, however, that would be exposed to the Confederate flag or other monuments or whatever. And it could be a really painful reminder of things. And I can understand why other people would have a reaction so different than my time, own. All of a sudden. You know, in the, I mean, no, there's some people that have been opposed to it for quite some time, and now it's really just that culturally things are starting to shift to see things more in their perspective. But yeah. again, I think you have to look at it. Uh, you need to make a really big delineation here when it comes to kind of issues of speech, of speech that you're exposed to without having say on. So. Yeah. Columbus Circle, if you have to get from one place to another, you might have to walk through Columbus Circle or I it's really inconvenient. I go through Columbus Circle almost every day. I didn't okay. know. Up until, up until, I would say, about 18 months ago, I'd never heard anything negative about Columbus. 
Okay, so, but just follow me on this argument. I just want to, yeah. So if you, take, if you talk about public monuments or somebody flying the Confederate flag off of their truck or something, that's putting speech out there in a fashion that it's difficult for other people to avoid. You're, you're exposing other people to things that they may not want to see and they didn't have a choice in the matter. It's the same thing why indecent exposure is a crime because not everybody wants to see some nude dude walking down the street. Let's hold on, hold on though. Let, let, let me, uh, the whole thing about the indecent exposure thing. Now I get it if you're like under 18. But if I saw a real fat woman just rolling around the street all dirty and naked and shit, I, I think I would just keep living life. Yes, but the the reason for things like that is because not every like but now people are scarred by it now people have to go okay to but again it doesn't matter what other people's reactions are you have to look at it in terms of speech that occurs in the public sphere versus speech that you seek out so when it comes to like i think you really need to make a difference here where when you see people complain about a stand-up comedian doing a bit that they don't like or a television show having an offensive premise or offensive characters or music having offensive lyrics or anything like that there's a very big difference between people trying to cancel those artists versus people expressing themselves in a in a manner that is much more difficult to avoid because if i don't like a certain artist's music I don't have to listen to it because I just won't buy their album. I won't watch their videos on YouTube. I won't go to their shows. But if there's a public monument and I have to drive by it on my way to work or someone's walking down the street wearing a Nazi like symbol or something, that's, that's different because I didn't have a choice as to whether or not I was exposed to it. I get, yeah, but I, I mean, maybe I'm just so kind of ignorant to just, like so much stupidity and so much so many people that i just like fully to my core disagree with that i just have to endure and that maybe i'm a bit more immune to it than the next guy right but again what i'm saying is if we want to look at cancel culture you have to look at it in two different avenues one and and for both of us our answer to both sides of it is I don't care. I'm just gonna. I'll move on. But there are people that are that are passionate. I don't, I don't have that much passion really about. That. No, we've got other things to do. But if you want to try and say, where do you draw the line in terms of when someone's making a request about canceling something and whether or not it's reasonable? I think that you draw the line at: Do people have a reasonable ability to avoid this thing? Uh, I, I don't know. I think because I could, you know, I, I walk by shit every day that I don't like. Right, but do you have a reasonable ability to avoid it? No. Well, then maybe something needs to be done about it then. But it's not going to be me. I'm going to do some tweeting about fucking crackheads. Right. But that's also uh, coming back to my how I started off. You and I are generally apathetic to a lot of the problems because they don't directly affect us. Yeah, sure. But, you know, if, if someone I was dating was walking by through this area, I wouldn't feel. We have an agent here whose boyfriend picked her up the other day and then walked her to work today with a baseball bat. Like, because it's nuts out here. It's fucking nuts. Yeah. So, so there you go. Maybe uh, now you've made a case that 
maybe something needs to be done if there's a safety issue or whatever. But you can, I would say that you need to evaluate whether or not there's a, when, when there's a request for something to be canceled or whatever is, does the general public have a reasonable chance to be able to avoid exposure to it if they don't want to? So when you look at public monuments or whatever, you can say, one, it's a government endorsement. It's a public endorsement of this thing. Yeah. And two, it's out in the public. So if you're going through that area, you can't really avoid it versus a comedian or a television show or a music artist where really you have to be you have to be actively trying to find it. You have to tune into that show or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so if you're going to tune into something just to be offended, well, you know what? That's that's your that's a you problem. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. I mean, you could avoid Columbus Circle. But I don't know. It's just it's a it's a weird time. It's just a weird time, you know. A lot of shit is changing really fast. I don't think humans have lived through a time of change at this speed as as we are now. You you think that's accurate? The late nineteen sixties come to mind. That's a common comparison. Is it? And why? Yes. What fact is it changing? What fact is it changing so quickly in the sixties? So, I would say look at the late fifties and early sixties, and the the type of culture that existed then versus the late sixties and early seventies. In the late 50s and early 60s, there was, I mean, neither of us lived during that time. So this is pure conjecture on both of our parts. But you had that a much more leave it to beaver kind of life in America. First of all, there were significant inequities, not that there aren't today, but the rights of black people and other minorities were, 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 were more restricted than they are today in an overt way it was written into laws that whereas the racism still exists today but it's more subtle and kind of sneaky i guess in most cases yeah and the way that women were treated in the early 60s or whatever uh think about how sexual harassment has changed in the last couple years so but you can look at the sexual revolution the invention of birth control and the the idea that you had as a woman you had to get married and you had to start having kids and like women would get married at 17 18 19 years old and start popping out kids at 21 or 22 and then in the late 60s you had the whole sexual revolution where people started to decouple the idea of sex and marriage and that had really profound implications and I think I'm not saying whether I don't know whether it's good or bad. It's not my part part to say, but I think that there was a tremendous amount of change, both in the way that America looked at the way it treated minorities, specific specifically blacks, and giving more protections like the Civil Rights Act, and the race riots of 1968, the protests against the war in Vietnam, and the sexual revolution and a rethinking about the way that society views women's role within it. So, I, but I didn't live through that time, so it's hard to say. Right yeah. now, what we're looking at, it, I don't know how much change is actually going to happen. 
I think a lot of people are really upset about shit. Um, but I think that a decent amount of change. I'm saying change in the sense of like just, you know, 10 years ago, we barely had iPhones and we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now 10 years ago. I mean, as we, easily. We could have. I mean, we could have because we were doing this shit 20 years ago, basically. Yeah, the Justin uh, show. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is wild. Uh, but we were doing it, but the quality wasn't there. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it wasn't at scale. Like, like you can do it now if you wanted to. So it's just, uh, but I think that we're going through a, a lot more rapid change. You got fucking self-driving cars. You got, you know, people can fucking teleport now. You got a microwave that heats your food in, in one and a half seconds. And well, uh, nobody has to work anymore because universal income. So, well, the, the, I think I think um, that's a top, like universal income is a topic for another cast because I've done a lot of research on this and I've got some really interesting thoughts on it. I, 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 I really want to hear about this because it's difficult to wrap your head around. We're, we won't talk on it now, but it's, it's no, I, I, I've done a lot of research on it. I think the whole idea of universal income is fascinating, but that's a topic for a different cast. When it comes to change for today, I think if you look at the George Floyd protests, and everything that was i think the perfect storm one you had all these people this this came right at the end of all the corona lockdown so you had all these people that have been cooped up yeah. with nothing really to do and then this video comes out that to any reasonable person is just outlandish and you say there's so much that is clearly wrong with this and a lot of black people are like, we've been dealing with this for a long time. And now like y'all are finally realizing or whatever, this isn't new, but they said, you know what? We'll take it. Like, thank you for the support. You finally get, you, you finally get where we're coming from. And so you had all this pent up energy yeah. coupled with a video that clearly shows something wrong. Yeah. I mean, clearly, but yeah. And that's, and that's why it was, I, I'm, I mean, I, I actually think it's a great thing that's happening right now, the, the, you know, the protests and the, and the changes being pushed. But I, you know, we talked about it before, kind of the way the marketing on it is not great, you know, I, in just terms of every everything about it. And it's, it's, it's tough, but I like that it's a prevalent issue right now and people are going to think. But the question is, what meaningful change will result from it? Well, I think, I think you know, I just think it's it's two different parties versus each other right now, and that's the way that it's it's being looked at, and and nobody can win in the other person's eyes, and that's you know it's it's like like trying to convince a stupid person, you know, you never the person's never going to understand your point. It's, yeah, it's a good quote I heard is like debate debate a genius and you may win some of the time debate an idiot and you will always lose it's i mean it's the, the conversations that that i have on a regular basis with people where i try to explain things or we have like differences the way that i equate it to is is like a staircase like we need to get to the next floor wherever it leads us but we need to agree on the first step and we need to be in agreement there and then we need to reach the next step and be in agreement there some people can't even acknowledge that there's fucking stairs. 
that's when you can't debate. And, and you're absolutely right. So if, for the people out there who don't know this, I was a philosophy major, which everything in philosophy is about building sound, reasonable arguments. And what you're talking about in terms of saying we need to agree on the first step is exactly the first step in argument, is if you're going to have a debate with somebody, you need to have a set of conditions that are agreed to by both parties. Some, if yeah, you can't have that, so, then you can't have a debate. Some people are so okay, but that's, that's what I feel like a lot is, especially with uh, the Black Lives Matter, like some people hear Black Lives Matter and they get upset. And, you know, they just fucking miss, you know, miss the whole thing. But that's, you know, but that, the Black Lives Matter campaign needs to be aware of the people that it's going right over their head and they're irritating. They can't just shove it down their throat even further. Well, I think the, the thing, for, for the people that get viscerally upset at the idea of Black Lives Matter, I don't know if there's messaging that's going to reach them. Well, maybe, but you, unless you can come about it some some way they don't expect on an emotional level. If, if you've got, because to me, if you can't see the reason for Black Lives Matter and you can't understand why they chose the phrase Black Lives Matter, at the, like for a while, I didn't get it. Because uh, I, I, my whole thing was, I just said, no lives matter. Well, like nothing matters, but uh, I've, as, a, as a philosophy major, yeah, uh, just like everything, everything. In the end of the at the end of the day, nothing matters. But um, the 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 way that it was put to me by somebody was, if you're at a dinner, if you're sitting at a dinner table and you you've got six or seven people that are at the dinner table and one person's taking a whole bunch of food. Um, and there's one person that doesn't have too much on their plate or whatever. And they say, Hey, I'm hungry. And if the person who's taking a whole bunch of food says, well, everyone should be able to eat. You say, okay, that might be true, but it's not addressing the problem that I'm not getting enough to eat right now. So that's why I'm saying like black lives matter is not saying that all lives don't matter. They do. But right now, black lives matter because we're the ones that are getting disproportionately targeted by all sorts of injustices. So yeah. yes, all lives matter, but one person's getting all the food on their plate and we've got a fucking pay. No, it's true. It's, it's, that's, 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 that was, that was well stated. And, but my thing, my thing though, is that, and, and a lot of people aren't even going to get as far as hearing you to say that because, you know, but what I'm thinking is there's a lot of good people out there that don't understand that. And it's not intentional, you know, it's just that's their conditioning. And I, I you know, we may just need to wait for them all to die off and just that, keep, yeah. and, and keep, the, and keep the topic up over the next couple generations. Yeah, and you have to look at it in terms of all changes incremental and the people that are out in the streets or the, the politicians that, the, the new wave of politicians that are really trying to put this issue as a core part of their campaign and their platform, they're the ones that are going to be doing the work and hopefully making some actual policy changes that are helpful. But there's a really deeply entrenched portion of people that are in power that don't want this to change. Um, 
Well, but they're also, most of them are, luckily, most of them are pretty old. Mm, yeah, but um, look at the way that police unions have responded to a lot of the, the, the changes that have been recommended in terms of how policing is done. Sure, I don't have any idea. I don't know what I did with the police, except I, I, I've, I've never liked the police. You know, growing up, we, everywhere we drove, it was 20, 30 miles an hour, if not double the speed limit. Um, you know, I've, I've been terrified at least, not for my life, but you know, when, when I'm walking down the street and a police car goes by, I go, oh, shit, you know? Like, that's yeah, so imagine if you were black. Exactly. You know, and that's, I can, I can get a taste of it. I can't, you know, I can't embody it, but uh, you know, I can't know it to my core, but I, I definitely have a taste of it because I know how I react. So I can only yeah. imagine that feeling. That feeling sucks. Right. So yeah, think about how the times that you've had interactions with the police and any time that you felt that they didn't treat you fairly. Every now time. Yeah. Right. So now just imagine that times two or three or 10 times in terms of how unfairly you're treated, how disrespectful you're treated. Because during the stop and first time in New York City, were you ever stopped and frisked? No. Probably not. Why? Yeah, you know, I got pulled over uh, upstate. I was doing a little over 70 in like uh, 25, and, uh, which is insane. I don't even know how that was possible. Police also pulled me, and I mean, I'm not making this up. I was, it was like one of those back roads, like mountain roads. Yeah. Um, I was doing a little over 70. Police officer pulls me over. I'm at 9-11. I cut the engine, run on flasher lights. I undo all the windows. And I, you know, I roll down all the windows. And just because, and it, because I, I also understand what it's like to be a police officer. You don't want to walk up on a car. The windows were tinted also. I didn't want to see the tints. But... I want the officer to feel safe, and I put my hands on the wheel, my wrist. Yeah, on two the wheel. and ten. Yeah, uh, and he walked up and and uh, started talking to us, and he's like, "Do you have any idea how fast you're going?" And uh, I'm like, "I, you know, I wasn't really wise." <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really more by feel. And uh, he goes, "Look, I know your car can handle it," uh, which probably it couldn't actually. I don't know about that car. Whatever uh, the case. He wrote me a seatbelt infraction. Okay. Is that not insane? Yeah. So. Well, I'm just, I, you know. Right, I'm, but yeah. So part it, of it is the way that you handled the interaction, but I'm going to say this. Part of it was this. Like that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Is that's a complete opposite of, of what we're talking about right now. So, okay. But my brother, so when my brother was a junior in college, um, he was selling pot. Um, and which, which youngest or middle? Middle. Oh, good friend. Um, and he, he was, uh, I don't know how much he was moving. He, he wasn't like a super big dealer, but he was moving basically enough to kind of pay for his supply. And at one point, I don't know, he must have like gotten somebody ticked, but they ratted on him. And so the campus security came, raided his whole dorm, and ended up taking like. And then, and then ratted on him. Well, so what it doesn't matter. The, the point is, secu campus security came, found about an ounce of pot in his room. He ended up having the police. He, he, he got charged, and he ended up with not even a misdemeanor. Like, he had a violation. He had to pay, like, a couple hundred dollar fine, and 
I, I, he might have been like on like a one year kind of like probation thing where like as long as he didn't get charged with anything in the next year, then all he ha- would have the fine. And coming out of that, what he said to me was, "Thank God I'm white." Good true. I mean, imagine if if you if if he wasn't white, because if he if he wasn't white, he probably would have been put in jail. Yeah, I mean, especially upstate. That was he was upstate, right? He went to school. Sienna. Yeah. Okay. But the, it's he he recognized that like there's inequities in the system. He happened to be a beneficiary of it at the time, yeah. but that doesn't make it right. Yeah, we're getting a lot of comments. Let me let me look through some of these comments real quick. While so you're doing that, let me get an ice cube. Somebody just said, "Are you paying attention to the comments?" But uh, yeah, somebody said about how people look at at people of color. Um, that's but I'm gonna touch on that in a second. Actually, when James comes back. Um, progress is inconsistent, but this progress is progress. Um, doesn't matter if George. I, I I don't want to get into that. The, the, this country has a long way to go. The country def, definitely has a long way to go. We we got a lot to. Somebody somebody this. No, just just these comments and about how George Floyd wasn't cooperating and 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 uh, just. Even if he wasn't cooperating, it doesn't mean he deserved to die. No, it, exactly, exactly, and that's but. You know, maybe the officer didn't know he was killing him. No, he did. Watch the video. Um, progress is inconsistent. So I think what a lot of people don't understand, especially people of any color or pretty much anyone non-white, but there's a, there's a speaker I listen to a lot. His name's Simon Sinek. And he I've heard of him. Example. Uh, he gives, he, he's really got to like mine. talks about leadership and, and building communities and building family, building brothership and kinship inside your companies and things like that. But he gives this example where, um, you know, if somebody walks, walks into my office and say, tell me they're from LA, I, you know, I don't, I don't think anything of, you know, if somebody walks in my office and say, tell me they're from New York. I don't, I don't, it's just another person. Now, if I was in LA, and I heard a New York City accent, I would instantly feel comfortable with that person. Be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm from New York, you know, like and I I trust their recommendations on restaurants more. I, you know, I would almost be I have a bond with them. Yeah, I'm following you. Okay. Now, somebody from LA walked in my office here in New York, I wouldn't feel anything. If another person from New York walked into my office here in New York, I wouldn't feel anything for them. Now I'm in London and I hear an accent from LA um, and I hear an accent for, uh, from somebody in LA, I'm going to instantly have a bond with that person, instantly take their restaurant recommendations, instantly feel a certain type of way about that person and almost be as if they're kind of part of my culture or somebody I can identify with. Yeah. Where I'm going with this is on the day to day, that's not a feeling that I can control. No. And for me, the, the voice alone, the accent alone over the way someone looks, obviously, is, is what's building that kinship and the bond. But what a lot of people don't understand is that just inside your brain somewhere, you're reacting to how people look. And I think it's important that what we talk about now 
acknowledges some of that, that some of it you do unintentionally. You might say that you're not racist, but then you may do racial or racially injustice things that are fucking racist. Can I share with you a really interesting experiment that they ran, um, a psychological experiment? Yes. Um, and this was done with both, uh, with the test subjects being across all races. So white, black, Asian, Indian, Latino, it doesn't matter, like across all races. Mm-hmm. So the test was really simple. They had a series of images. Um, some of them were just landscapes or, or, or pictures of inanimate objects. Some of them were pictures of white people. Some of them were pictures of black people. Some of them were, so they had mixed, like pictures of people of different races and then kind of just neutral landscapes and stuff like that. And so they would show the pictures and it would be very short, maybe a quarter second or a half second of the picture on the screen. And then you'd have a very short period to respond, less than a second. And you just had to respond good or bad on the image. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that like images of black people were almost, were across all races were um, responded to at a much higher rate of bad than good. And that after an image of a black person was shown that the next image, even if it was a neutral landscape or whatever, had a higher likelihood of being rated as bad. And that's, this is, so it's testing for what's called implicit bias. And this is something that like, now there were obviously differences between the races in terms of their response, but even black people would respond with negative, with more negative ratings for other black people or images that came after black people images. And so that's just kind of showing kind of how society ingrains this racist view of people that aren't white. Yeah. Well, I'm, I agree with that because I'm aware of it. Um, We just lost a lot of people. So they actually, they actually missed what you, what you had just said about, um, and I'll just repeat it real quick. The, The study, basically people had, a split second to say good or bad, and they were shown random images, but they were more prone to say bad when someone was of darker complexion, and then bad to the following image, regardless of their background or their skin color, which, which I think is, uh, which I think is wild. But that, and that's why I think a lot of what we talk about now needs to bring awareness to that, mm-hmm. because it's just it's not fair. You don't want to intentionally fuck someone over but you also don't want to unintentionally fuck someone over because then you and that's the thing is like most people don't want to be racist yeah well that's what a lot of i think and hear me out on this but i think a lot of the black lives matter campaign is missing is that people don't think they're racist and they don't want to be racist but they also don't want to change so shoving it further down their throat that they are racist they've they've shut off at that so they're not open to they're not open to discussion. They're not open to hearing more about your opinion of them because they because they don't value it. Right. I think I think you got a, a lot of points right on that one, and that's where it kind of comes to the messaging and the marketing with Black Lives Matter still still remains a point that they need to work on because you might even be able to get someone who doesn't feel like they're racist to be able to acknowledge that there are societal inequities, but if they start to feel like they're being personally attacked, then they're not going to want to engage. 
And you need to get them to realize that even if they're not trying to do anything wrong, that there are certain things that they're not even in control of that are still part of the problem. And being able to just make small steps in the way that people think can have a large impact over time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But back to my tolerance thing, I think, you know, people's tolerance needs to go back up. And that means being racially tolerant and, and, and not reacting negatively to, especially when you see somebody that is different, you know, and just, just being a bit more reserved and not ready to make action. You know, I saw, I, I saw a, uh, and given this was bad or good, but I'll give you a real life example. Last night, left the office, there's a FedEx truck, and this is a bad block. I've told you that before. A lot of homeless people. It wasn't always that way. No, it wasn't always that way. But now that the businesses are closed and, and there's all this free retail space, they can chill out from the retail spaces. But it's it's a bad block lately. UPS, uh, UPS no, it's FedEx truck was, was there. Back was open. And there's a dude sitting on the back of the truck. And it was like half open. Um, and he's a black guy. And then the driver was in the seat, like filling out some paperwork or something. And I didn't get a good chance to look at the guy, but I just assumed that he was probably not a great fella because obviously the majority of the people on the block would imply that he's not a great fella. But as I continue to walk, I realized that I hadn't really gotten a good look at him and that really the only thing I clocked was, was really race. And I could have turned back around, you know, because like my shit gets delivered in the FedEx trucks. Like I, I have some skin in the game here. But I just, I didn't have enough, I walked on because I didn't have enough information and I wasn't going to turn around and, and be like, you know, make a fool out of myself and do some double take, peek my head back around the corner, but solely based on, on a racial thing. Or actually afraid that it might have been only a racial thing because he could have been somebody, you know, stealing shit out of the back of the car. Or, you know. or well, yeah, and that's where like, you didn't have a chance to look at the uniform to see if he was dressed like one of the homeless people on your block or if he was wearing a FedEx uniform no, and was just like the assistant to the driver. No, he definitely was not wearing a FedEx uniform. I, I got, I got that much, but, huh. but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't have enough in my head to turn around and uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I mean, you just gotta be, you just got to be careful, I feel like, and, and aware and cognizant. And, you know, you, you don't have to be – being racist isn't a choice. I think it, it happens very automatically with people. But Well, it, it, it's taught in the, the way that it's taught varies depending on the person. Some people are raised with racist parents, mm-hmm. but even people that don't have racist parents – will still like if if society as a whole is racist if they're exposed to media that has an implicit bias then then they will gradually build racist views without even wanting to well remember we lived in south carolina through the obama election yeah wild because that was the first time i ever actually thought about racism was listening to because i love listening to talk radio listening to the radio down there versus listening to the radio up here 
was eye-opening. And I realized just, just how fucking wild it was that race was such a big topic in the South. Whereas in the North, we, you know, obviously we knew, you know, potentially the first black president, but it was just wild that race was such an issue in his background and his fucking birth certificate and this, that, and the next. But it really was a totally different, it just played out so differently in the South than it did, than it did where we were from. And it continues to. Uh, so, all right. Um, what are the comments saying? Well, uh, someone has a, a comment about um, what do you think? What do you think of the media industries capitalizing the B in the word black, but not W or B in, in white or brown? Which um, they are now. It's but that's. That's interesting. Uh, they, 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 you're actually starting to see that capitalizing B for black and W for white, you're starting to see the W being capitalized as well. Which is wild, though. I don't think, for me, it's not a title. I don't think that much, I don't think it should be, I don't think either one should be capitalized because I don't think we should be drawing that much. It shouldn't be the topic of the sentence. I don't think it, it's, it's a net, you know, uh, a noun, I think, is an adjective. And oftentimes a poorly used adjective. But I think when you capitalize it, it becomes part of a, a noun. Well, what I would say is I don't have a strong opinion on it either way as long as you're consistent. If you want to capitalize B, capitalize W. If you want to, ca if you want to use lowercase, just treat – I don't know. It, it, it's, that's one where I haven't really put too much thought into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know the arguments on either side. That's quick speculation. I I think that that's that's a distraction from the real issue. Yeah, I I, I would say that. But but let me just loop this back to tolerance. I you know I think people should tolerate a lot, but I also think people should have a moral ground where they where they don't tolerate. really bad stuff well where do you draw the line that's a tough line to draw i probably draw it further back than a lot of other people but also you know i i, I will often stand up when i see something that i think is really really bad and seldomly because a lot of times i think things will work themselves on, on uh, themselves out on their own but especially like conflict in the office usually not i do hear people sometimes in the office say things they don't realize are racial or racist and I have to correct them practice or sometimes I pull them aside or send them a text like dude you can't fucking say that like we get fined if you know if somebody just passes by and hears it but also it's not the fucking right thing to say um I've heard some some crazy stuff but um but yeah you know there's a you know we have a super diverse office and I see, you know, I've been exposed to a lot more cultures than I ever have. How many different languages are spoken in your office? Probably 12 to 15, if not, if not more. Um, which I, th I always thought that was a, a, a super cool thing. I, I do too. I love the fact that how diverse it was. I love learning about people's cultures. And 
you know, I look at everybody kind of equally different from me, but you know, skin color thing. Well, and that's actually one that that's one of the solutions to racism is exposure where, and you see this all the time where people that used to be very, very racist when, when they actually met somebody of a race that they, they looked down on or whatever, when they were actually exposed to what the, like, if I'm racist against black people and I'm then exposed to black people and I get to see that they're just like me then the racism starts to go away because I get to see them as other people, not something lower. And you can see that across any kind of bias or... It's wild, though, that, that does everybody just assume that, that someone different is lower? Is that like... That's a- well, I mean, when you look at something like white supremacy, yeah, it, it's very much like it's built into the name. But you, you'll see people like reformed white supremacists. And one of the things that helped get them to realize how terrible an idea it was, was when they were exposed to black people that weren't combative to them, that said, look, I get where you're coming from. I understand how you were raised and where you get this opinion. And bringing them around in a friendly way to say, look, black people are just like white people. We want the same things. We, we're, we're all people and we just want to be treated equally and we want to treat other people equally as well. And getting it, it, there's, there's a topic in philosophy and ethics about the difference of the other. And racism, in a lot of ways, is rooted in that, where instead of seeing other people like yourself, you see them as the other. And you can see this across a whole bunch of different things. It's, it's rooted in nationalism, where you see people that are not from your country as the other, people yeah. that are not from your religion as the other people not from your race as the other so when you stop seeing people as the other but as like yourself then you see these biases go away yeah uh, we we delved on that avenue for a while but i, I mean we could go on for fucking hours like but you know, yeah just you know as, as reasonably intelligent people well, what do you say we look at a couple, like respond to one or two more comments and then wrap it up? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's a good idea uh, in terms of comments. Let's see. It's, it's, I, I need to read this this article. Why we're capitalizing black, uh, not just B. Why we're capitalizing black? Okay. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll check into that. And uh, yeah, um. We get we get some other comments. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean it's just be, it's it's crazy how passionate people are. You know, I'll throw a comment in, but not you know just for the sake of stirring the pot. But um, but yeah, it's about changing the mind of ignorant people who don't want to change. Um. I don't know. You know, like I said, it's a, it's a tolerance issue. I think, yeah, I think that's what got us into this. Um, and I do think there's stuff you shouldn't tolerate. I think there's a lot of things that, that we agree are wrong and they need to be changed. But you, but like, it's just, it's weird where some people draw that line and where some people don't draw that line. Well, yeah. And and I, I offered, I offered an opinion, which is like public versus private where 
if there are things that you don't have a choice but to be exposed to, that's where you can start to make and advocate for changes. But when it comes to private expression, where it's avoidable by somebody who doesn't want to see it, then it's a lot harder to make the case that something should be canceled or restricted. I, I think education plays a, a, a core role in all of this. Just, you know, the, the type of education people have and, and exposure mm-hmm. to diversity, which, which you talked about earlier. But it's a tricky subject. It's a really, you know, things aren't perfect. And, and what I'm saying is we got to deal with a certain amount of imperfection. But then what I'm also saying is some, some imperfection is bullshit. And like, that's just an excuse or a cop out. It needs, it needs to, to be. not have to deal with the problem. Yeah. But I'm also saying, but it's, it's a fine line to walk because that's, you know, now we go from fucking shoveling driveways to, to black lives matter. And, and it's just, it's just wild. Um, I, you know, <laughs> it's just wild how fucking ignorant and stupid people are. And it sucks. Um, well, and you also have to accept that there's a certain percentage of people that you're never going to be able to reach, and you have to set your goals realistically and say, let's let's find the people that we can change their minds and get them on board with the changes that need to be made. And then there's a certain portion that is not going to go along with anything, and they're just going to get drugged through history, kicking and screaming along the way. Yep, and typically those are older people. And yep. the older people die sooner than younger people, so... I guess the population has that going for them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, dude. Um, I'll catch up with you later. I enjoyed having drinks. Enjoy the rest of your whiskey. Yeah, let's make uh, next Tuesday. We'll let's talk about UBI. I think I think that's a that's a pretty cool topic. So I am I'm totally down for that. So I'll uh, I'll catch up with you later. Yeah, do some research and some reading on UBI. I'll do the same, and let's make that our Tuesday topic. All right, cool man. I'll catch you later. All right, cheers. See ya. Wait, you still here? You still still watching this? Man, you are dedicated. Um, to show your dedication, you did like this video, right? You're already subscribed to the channel? Thank you so much. Have a great day.